Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your Motorsports Insider with the Indianapolis Star. Here for this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly, we'll be breaking down uh, last month's Indianapolis 500. Seems like it's been quite a long time, but just a, a week and a half ago, uh, along with previewing this weekend's doubleheader at uh, Detroit on Belle Isle. Uh, of course, joining me, co-host as always, we've got Meyer Shank Racing's Jack Harvey with us today. Uh, just we're talking about um, heading up tomorrow, uh, Thursday morning, both of us heading up to Detroit. Uh, it'll probably be today, maybe by the time you're reading this or listening to this. Um, but a, a busy weekend in store and a really busy one to recap for uh, the 500. So uh, we will get into it. First off, Jack, um, how, are, how did you... Uh, Enjoy uh, a little bit of a, a weekend off here following the 500 that I know we don't traditionally get with how the a, a normal 17 race schedule pans out with the 500 in, in Detroit normally. It was super nice, mate, honestly, to not have to go straight from the 500 to Detroit. I always thought that's such a tough ask, uh, not necessarily just on the drivers, but on, on everybody. Uh, so I think for everybody, for us all to have that just that weekend off, um, you know, reset, recoup, you know, re-energize uh, was really worth it. My manager was actually racing at Road America, so I actually drove up to uh, go and try and support him and whatnot. And he was racing at the June Sprints in a Formula Ford. I actually finished third on uh, Sunday, so uh, my weekend off was still at a racetrack. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, it was just nice to have. Just a little bit of a breather, you know, be able to try and, you know, catch our breath, try and understand what's, you know, been going really well, what's been going not so well, and um, try and put solutions in place for, for, for all the above. I always found it so odd. I know this is just my second year covering IndyCar, um, but covering the series as a fan, I, I always understood in some way why the series and other promoters would want to feed off of that energy and excitement that the 500 brings, you know, you're capturing millions upon millions of people watching that race. A lot of, for a lot of them, the 500 will be the only race to watch that year. And so you're hoping, I know in some ways to, you know, tr transfer that, you know, potential just one time fan to, sure to tune into the, the next race on the schedule. So in some ways I know it makes sense to have uh, a race that following weekend. And in years past, it's actually been the double header in Detroit followed then again by the, uh, the oval race at Texas, which I know just has got to have been a really grueling schedule, both for drivers and for team members, um, you know, members of the media officials in the series. So, I, for one, will say uh, I think it was a nice way to be able to take a little bit of a breath and also maybe in some way let this year's, uh, you know, the results and, of course, the eventual winner of the Indy 500 get a little bit of time in the sun and get us give us a chance to reflect on what happened in that race rather than having to, you know, a couple of days later, all of a sudden, uh, you know, move, shift our, our minds and focuses forward toward uh, another race. And I know for Meyer Shank racing, um, obviously the, the results of the 500 were, were really important. We saw, uh, I, as I assume all you listeners probably already know, we saw Jack's teammate, Elio Castro Neves, uh, pick up his fourth Indy 500, putting him in a class 
of uh, three other drivers who have won that race four times with AJ Foyt, Rick Mears, and Al Unser Sr. It was a really um, emotional, exciting uh, day, as it always is, whenever Elio wins that race, as he did three times prior with Team Penske. But there's a lot of history, both in his own achievement and this team. Um, Jack, I, I guess my, my first question would be, what what has this last week and a half, I know you said you've been away a little bit, but um, just the general vibe and, and uh, feedback that you've gotten from either the folks who were directly part of that entry or folks that were just around it in all of those preparation meetings leading up to the May 30th, 500. Um, what do you feel like Elio's win has done for this team? I think Elio's win has shown, you know, what we've all believed in from, from the get go, that the potential of the team is that you can win races. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly didn't, put all our eggs in Michael's basket just to be one of the drivers on the field to do it because we believe in the team, uh, you know, in the group of people and that that combination has winning potential. So uh, obviously it was a, personally, it was a mixed day. You know, uh, we didn't have a great day on the 60 car. Uh, you know, we made progress at the start. We had a really bad pit stop. The flip side of that, Elio had a very smooth day. You know, and, and grabbed, uh, you know, his fourth. So, oh, it's hard because in this, I know so many of those guys and I love so many of the team uh, and the whole team that you want to celebrate. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves that when, when your teammate wins, it's a little bit of a sting, especially when it's the first win for the team, uh, you know, and all them things. So, you know, I, I chatted to, to everybody at different times last week, because for me, it was a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, you know, a lot of great stuff, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, frustration. And then chatted to everybody this week, and it was just a case of, it's a new week, it's time to uh, get going. But I mean, for the team itself, I mean, it's wonderful. You know, those guys work so hard, um, have worked so hard. The off-season, you know, we really put a lot of emphasis on certain things regarding the speedway. And, I mean, they paid dividends. You know, you can't say that they haven't because they did. I've, I would obviously wish it would have been on the 60. Uh, you know, looking back across the month, we had an engine blow up on day one. Uh, you know, we had a tyre issue in qualifying, bad pit stop in the race. I mean, clearly it just wasn't going to be our month. Um, but seeing Elio be able to get his fourth, I've, I've actually, since I've been at the 500, I've seen him, you know, finish second at least once. Um <laughs> And he's such a nice guy. You know, he has a, a real genuous about him. He's charismatic. Uh, you know, he's a gentleman. And oh, I think we all get excited, kind of, when you see him Spider-Man, you know, and climb the fence. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's hard not to. And, um, you know, for as many positive feelings that were there, obviously you look over in that moment with probably a little jealousy, a bit of envy, and go, oh, God, I wish that was me doing that. Um, but, I mean, the win, the win for the team is massive. You know, the thing that's tough about this week, obviously, is enjoy it last week for all the reasons that you said, you know, for everyone to have their moment in the sun. Uh, you know, oh, that being said, come Monday, it's time to get ready again for Detroit. You know, so hopefully, uh, you know, as I said to the team, I hope they partied really well last week. Uh, and I hope they're 100% focused and ready to have a good weekend this weekend. So, um yeah, it's, it's, it's been probably how you imagine it being. Yeah, I, the, I think the most, maybe the most interesting or, or at least it's something that I didn't know that I learned in the press conference regarding Meyershank Racing uh, and the crew on Elio's car uh, going into that race. When we came away from the press conference with Mike Shank and Jim Meyer on Sunday evening, I, I don't remember which one of them uh told us this little tidbit of information, but they said that they only had two full-time members of the, you know, the crew that were supremely dedicated to Elio's car. Only two of those guys were full-time and I, I um, everyone else was on a, either a, a one race deal or doing this part-time while also, um, you know, paying attention to the, the sports car program that they have in DPI and IMSA. Uh, with with Acura, and I just thought it was really neat to hear. I mean, we you know we've heard you and Mike 
talk, uh, you know, both this season and even in seasons past that this, you, you wanted to make sure that folks truly understood that this wasn't, I think the quote you guys have used a lot was it's not the, the little team that could. Um, and now it's, you know, it's, it's this team that actually has achieved something and achieved something that, um, doesn't, you know, only one team can come away victorious from this race every year. It's just the, uh, the first time in 10 years that a partial season driver has won this race. Um, as you mentioned, it's this team's first win and to come on such a big stage, um, hope, you know, in, in part for you guys that it both shows, you know, what Meyer shank racing can achieve and, and, you know, maybe helps and you guys some more sponsors and, um, more visibility that you certainly could argue that, that you guys had, had already deserved, um, going into Detroit. Now I know Elio won't be, you know, in the race car, you know, there's been a lot of talk, you know, whether he would, uh, you know, join the series full-time for the rest of the year. He's still locked into his five races with, um, with you guys at, I think Nashville, IMS, uh, Portland, Laguna Seca and Long Beach. Um, so for the folks that are going to be around for Detroit, um, on your car and, you know, focusing on, on trying to, you know, make some moves in this really tight points battle. I know, I think you're 13th right now, but um, someone like Colton Herta in seventh is only like 26 points uh, or 20, no, 33 points. Sorry, my math um, away. When we've got two races up for grabs now, even if it wasn't a, you know, the, the 500 that you guys were hoping for, um, what do you feel like you guys could take away from this month of May at large and put forward into this uh, three races in eight days that we have before us starting this weekend? I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, I guess it depends on what kind of perspective you're looking at it. Uh, I mean, from a global perspective, we were really competitive in the road course and then the team won the Indy 500. So like you said, you know, a ton of exposure, a ton of eyeballs on the team. Hopefully Jim and Michael are able to turn that, uh, you know, hopefully into finding some more uh, sponsors just so then hopefully we can go back to the Indy 500 next year and continue to be competitive. Uh, certainly I noticed a bump in my following, uh, you know, on Instagram and on uh, <laughs> Twitter, which was nice. Um, you know, people keep asking me, like, how does how does the team winning the 500, you know, impact you in a positive way and things like that? And I mean, honestly, my hope is that the team are able to turn it into maybe a slightly more funding for the team. Um, I never even spoke to Michael and Jim about Elio racing in Detroit. Um, if they did, then it would have been great. If, if not, then it's way out of my control. Um, you know, they never asked, but I know that obviously wasn't the plan in the first place. Uh, I thought everybody on Elio's car, albeit part-time, I don't think there was anyone there without having not had some IndyCar experience. But honestly, you just got to say congrats to those guys because throughout all the week, you know, they were working on pit stops because some of them had been, you know, not too awesome. Um, and then when it mattered, they, they got it together and they had a really smooth uh, day in pit lane. And all you can do is congratulate them for that. I think, you know, if I look at the month of May and what it means to the 60 car, it's probably another month of what if. Uh, you know, what could have been. But I think the big ticket item, and I think you see this up and down pit lane, you know, not just with me, but with, you know, all, all teams, all drivers at some point, uh, it's so competitive this year that winning the race is a perfect day. And it's, you know, it's perfect from the drivers, uh, you know, the guys on strategy and on the uh, timing stand. And it's also the guys in pit lane doing the pit stops. So, if you don't have all those ducks aligned, it's probably not going to happen for you. And man, we were so close in both of those weekends, maybe not winning the 500 because of where we qualified, but certainly, you know, could have had a mm, top 10, I think, you know, pretty comfortably. It's around where we were uh, before we had our first issue. And um, the big takeaway is execution. You know, on the 60 car, we just... We don't have to have the very fastest stop of the race, uh, but we do need to have the best average. And I can tell you that the first two stops at the 500 were excellent. And the one after our mishap was also very, very good. Uh, but that one mishap, you know, turns your day 
you know, pretty on its head and upside down. So um, I think it's just, you know, consistency, execution. Uh, but the, the, one of the primary takeaways is just the fact that we did show a ton of speed. We were competitive again. Uh, and we just want to keep that momentum rolling uh, for as long as we can. Mm-hmm. How much does an anomaly like this race being the fastest one in history, only having um, two cautions, none of those really having anything to do in particular with action going on on track? You know, we, we saw Stefan Wilson spin in the pits right around um, 30 laps into the race and Graham Ray Hall had uh, a rear tire come off uh, due to leaving the pits early. Um, and that brought out a, a short caution there at all. But beyond that, the, you know, the race was green the entire way when you are trying to, you know, figure out a strategy, uh, as you mentioned, when you start a little bit farther back in the race and you would hope, and you only have a couple caution periods uh, to work with, to try and position yourself. So I imagine that's probably not something that you would assume would happen in a race like the 500. How much did just the, uh, the fairly flawless execution, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it of the rest of the field in terms of accidents and cautions, um, hurt your guys's chances at being able to make some moves and take advantage of some of those situations to move up the field ultimately. Uh, I mean, it hurts probably quite a lot because you haven't really got too much chance to recover if something goes bad. Um, I thought, oh, easy to say, up to us having an issue, our race was playing out very well. You know, it felt like we had a really good start. The car felt great. We were moving forward. You know, started 20th. I think we got up to as high as 9th. I think we pit from 10th. Um, you know, things were looking very good and then you have that that pit stop and without another yellow to kind of bunch everybody back up and you know give other people the opportunity to you know maybe not have a great stop or you know takes away the opportunity of maybe trying to have a great start you know something like that I mean it makes it hard um you know and certainly I I feel like at the minute when, when we need a yellow it doesn't come and when we don't need one obviously you get it but the reality is probably all drivers feel that you know, at some point, and I think you may have mentioned it, you pretty much leave the 500 with one driver that's happy, one team that's happy. Um, the yellows that were happening, little unusual. I don't think it's the first time you've seen someone have a, an issue getting into pit lane, um, you know, for sure. And like I tried to say to the guys like last week, you know, no one is immune, you know, from a bad pit stop. You know, we get, we personally are going to probably have more at some point in the, this season. Uh, you know, you're going to have yellows that fall for you, fall against you. Um, you know, the thing that I just urge the team to get away from is thinking that we are lucky or unlucky. Right now, we, we are going to get the results that we create. Um, you know, and if it's on the negative side of that, then we just have to limit that damage. Um, and I think that, you know, whoever wins the championship this year, Obviously, he'll be the most consistent driver, uh, but also be the one who normally makes the best of a bad weekend. Uh, and probably that's what I feel like we as a team need to try and do a little bit more. Um, you know, and obviously capitalise on when it's good. But if the race goes full green, um, especially the 500, when the racing is so close at the minute, puts a huge amount of pressure on everybody in pit lane you know, from the driver getting into the box at a good speed, stopping on the marks well, getting out well, changing the tyres well, the fueler, getting in well. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be good um, to have that level of stop. So uh, on the whole, the 60 car doesn't have a problem in pit lane. We've had two bad stops at probably the two most important times, but the guys do really, really well. So actually, I my conversation with them has just been, take a deep breath, let's try and find a little consistency. But you don't need something radical to change because we're not doing anything obviously wrong. It just We just need to limit the damage of a bad one. Um, you mentioned how close this field is. We continued, of course, the trend of um, drivers having or, or adding a, a new 2021 race winner into the fold. We've now got six 
six races, uh, six race winners from six countries and uh, coming from five teams. So it's um, just continues to prove how incredibly close and how incredibly competitive this IndyCar season is as we come into Detroit. It will be really interesting to see um, if that if that trend continues even more. Obviously, we haven't seen a win yet from uh, Team Penske, so that's certainly a possibility as they come into this race that those guys both know extremely well outside of Scott McLaughlin, I guess, and also probably have a little bit of an incentive to win, given the fact that it's promoted by Penske Corp uh, folks like Bud Danker and the like. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. Before we get to Detroit, one other thing I want to touch on, obviously this race uh, marked the large scale return of fans to IndyCar races. You guys had 135,000 on hand. Um, it was also uh, a race that lots of folks watched on TV. It was the best TV rating in five years since the hundredth running back in 2016. And it wasn't really even too far off that mark uh, set that year, year before you hopped into the race. I know it's not the, the 300,000 or the 350,000 even that you guys would love to have there at IMS. Um, but what, what sort of a difference, even when you're in the car and you're going 220 around the track, I know you probably can't necessarily hear the crowd as the race is going on, but what sort of a different um, vibe and atmosphere did that number of fans at a, a racetrack as big as an, and as important like IMS, uh, what did that do, you feel like, for this year's 500 on race day? It was awesome. Uh, it was so awesome having people back. Um, I think the time we really noticed it was – you know, qualifying weekend, carb day, uh, even though it was a drizzly carb day, people still were there. And then honestly, just walking out again, you know, for the driver introductions on race day and just seeing that many people, uh, I feel like there may have been more than 135. Cause I thought the grandstands looked pretty full. Um, but honestly, like that's, that's awesome to me. You know, that the energy that's there on race day without doubt is second to none. It's so, um, inspiring it's so ah oh, just awesome and that's what makes it the greatest spectacle in racing and i think speaking on behalf of all my colleagues at this point we don't want to do a, a major race in front of the other 32 drivers we want to do it in front of you know this time 135,000. hopefully next year back to capacity uh, because you want to share that result with people i think you know looking at you know, for example, Elio, if he'd have won last year, him climbing the fence, I mean, you might as well have just climbed on the you know, pit stand. You know, that's where everybody was. Um, yeah. You know, so I feel like it was, it somehow seemed really fitting as well that he was the driver, you know, that won as we, you know, re-welcomed fans, obviously, back to IMS. Um, it's great, mate. I mean, you know, last year's 500 felt super weird. Uh, you know, it felt like we were going out for, you know, a practice session, but it happened to be the Indy 500. Uh, this year, come race day, there was definitely race day shift again. And um, it's just been, it was so awesome, you know, and I think this weekend as well, going to Detroit, as they've opened up the paddock again, I literally just got an email that said Mid-Ohio were opening up the paddock again. So hopefully some of these things that have, you know, for the last year or so have stopped being normal, become back to our old normal you know, and be able to interact with people, see people, um, you know, and try and share this experience the best we can, uh, you know, because without fans, you don't have a sport. And, you know, certainly we want to interact with them as much as we can. I will admit too, you, you mentioned that uh, the grandstands certainly looked like they were more than 135,000. And it was, it was surprising to me too, as someone who's now both been there as a member of the media and someone who's also sat in the grandstands and, and watched this race several times uh, as a kid growing up in Noblesville. Um, the one thing I'll say that I, I think a lot of us maybe kind of forgot that was actually a factor is that it was 135 out of the, what I think the, the grandstands at IMS hold roughly 235,000. So that's already it's not necessarily that 40% mark that we've, I know we've been talking about a lot, but that 40% is technically out of 
what is it, like 350,000, I think that IMS holds. So you're already above 50% there. And I will say as someone who sat in the grandstands, uh, those seats when they're completely full are pretty darn uh, narrow. You're pretty much sitting shoulder mm-hmm. to shoulder with folks. Uh, you got your cooler underneath your feet. You don't really have any place to put your uh, your feet because someone sitting right next to you is probably doing the same thing. You got people sitting in front and back of you. So my my best guess to that after seeing what the stands looked like is that you know maybe folks had a little bit more of a chance to spread out. And I think you know you could have a, a those grandstands at 50 to 60, 65% full. And then probably in lots of places look fairly, fairly um, robust. I didn't get a chance to look and see what things look like, say in the short shoots, which are obviously typically uh, less desirable places for fans to be. Um, So maybe those were a little bit less full and that might be kind of where things eventually balanced out. You know, if, if there were in fact more than 135, I, I imagine we probably won't ever hear that, but in all, it was just really nice to see that place looking a lot closer to normal. As you said, um, Detroit has the the paddock open this weekend. I believe they've, they will essentially have uh, what, what would be close to a, a full crowd. Um, they, they open the grandstands up wide open. And I think they're, selling a, a number of general admission tickets that's maybe just slightly less than normal, uh, as they've said, to help still keep things safe, but in essence, um, have the chance to have what would be close to a sellout crowd in, in both the, the paddocks at Road America and Mid-Ohio will be open. So we're I think we're probably getting towards a point where things are going to feel fairly normal. We won't have to wear masks in the paddock at uh detroit this weekend i uh did see and reported earlier today on wednesday um which is a nice bit of relief so i think though the 500 didn't have you know as many people as we might have wished it would have been able to um certainly a a nice dose of normalcy and maybe a good way to bridge getting into uh the heat of this summer where we have uh races uh, all around the midwest so as we get to detroit i know despite you having raced in this series now since 2017 um correct me if i'm wrong but this is still a, a brand new track for you now isn't it it is mate yeah <laughs> um it's wild so what do you i mean do you essentially you know when you have a, a new street course it's not a place where you're able to um you know do obviously any sort of off-season testing do you just have to rely that much more mm. on your performances at a place like say St. Pete, that's a street course or somewhere like Sebring. If you guys have tested there recently, that's a a little bit bumpier to try and um, get some sort of a baseline when you only have a a 75 minute practice on, on Friday to, to get things set up for qualifying and races on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Yeah, man. I mean, definitely makes it harder this weekend. Um, And that being said, Nobody raced there last year, so perhaps it's kind of out of everybody's mind a little bit more. Obviously, St. Pete's probably one of the tracks in North America that I have driven the most, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and gone pretty well at. I feel like I've gone well at, you know, street circuits just in general. I think Detroit, the first thing you hear about is how bumpy the track is. Um, you know, certainly catch that comment all the time by uh, a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I mean... In terms of my normal prep, I've probably done a little bit more or probably done a lot more for this weekend in terms of video analysis, data analysis, you know, re-watching a lot of the races back, you know, perhaps more than I normally would do. But um, we want to go and have a good weekend. And, you know, I don't just because it's my first time there, I don't see any reason why we can't push for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of, lot of things to learn no doubt but um you know I'm, I'm confident that the pace that we've shown this year in general um at st p a variety of tracks you know from road courses to ovals that you know we can go and be competitive this weekend in detroit even as a rookie there for the first time so um i think there's a lot of 
really good things. And um, I think the team's in a in a good place at the minute. I feel in a good place at the minute. We just want to keep uh, you know keep momentum with us as much as we can, and you know honestly just keep keep pushing on. Um, but definitely excited to be finally driving at uh, you know the Belle Isle Grand Prix. So um, just want to get started now, mate. Honestly. Looking over, you know, your history in IndyCar, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, beyond Nashville, it's obviously a new race for everyone this year. It looks like, um, what is it, maybe other than Toronto, if we do race at Toronto down the line, um, that this would maybe be the last race that you haven't yet run at um, as far as tracks that likely would be on the calendar going into, you know, say 2022 and beyond. Sure. Yeah. I uh, think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously no one's been to Nashville. So I mean, that's kind of a, a game changer everywhere else I have been to. Um, I was excited to try and get to Detroit last year and, you know, disappointed when I saw it come off the calendar, but um, yes, I think that's, uh, I think that's right. We've heard uh, a handful of drivers kind of describe what the the physical realities of having a a street race and having it be a doubleheader. I mean, I know that Detroit being a doubleheader is something that's been fairly stationary on the schedule. I think since 2013 minus last year, as you said, because of the, pandemic. So without having gone through this race yet, I know we heard um, drive a lot of drivers talk about just how incredibly tough, given the air screen, this race um, earlier this spring in late April at St. Pete was just given the heat and the humidity there. Um, when we have a, uh, you know, double header in Detroit, I haven't looked at exactly what the weather is going to be like, but you have to imagine, you know, maybe somewhere at least one race around the the eighties or so. And you have the the air screen that I know is still a little bit of a work in progress as far as airflow is concerned. Um, is this a weekend that you have marked uh, as being likely one of not the most physically difficult on the calendar as far as this year is concerned? Uh, yeah, I would say, um, you know, I think any track that is as bumpy as Detroit is, I think there's some really high commitment corners like turn one, turn two, even coming onto the back straight. Um, just the bumpiness of it, you know, having to really hang on to the wheel, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, kind of naturally make those races a little more intense uh, you know, make them physically harder. And then obviously it's going to be a little warmer there than I think it has been in the past. Uh, I think IndyCar doing a good job at the minute with trying to, you know, figure out what are efficient ways of trying to cool, you know, the cockpits and the cars and things like that. So, um, I mean, at this point, mate, honestly, just kind of kind of hopeful that IndyCar can think of a, you know, keep thinking of good solutions for that um, that scenario and, it's going to be hot. It's going to be physical, but hopefully, you know, all the prep that I've done in the gym, you know, with my trainers there and whatnot is going to give us good performance on Sunday. So, um, definitely a tough one. Uh, probably not as hard. Well, I mean, we'll wait and see. I don't want to say probably not as hard as somewhere else because I haven't been to Detroit yet. It might be the hardest one of the year. We'll have to just wait and see, you know, play it by ear and uh, hopefully be in good shape by the end of uh, race one. Cause we've got two races good point i'll take uh just another look at where the series stands as a whole uh entering this weekend we've got alex plo uh leading the championship after finishing second to elio in the 500 uh followed 26 or 36 points back by scott dixon pato award one point behind dixon with uh simon pagino renus vk joseph newgarden and colton herda rounding out the top seven um but that that group there i'd say probably the top fours uh the you know fairly close together will be really interesting to see i think from my standpoint um how alex can continue to uh perform with the consistency that he's shown thus far he had a 17th place uh at saint pete that was a little bit of a head scratcher following his 
uh, first victory in IndyCar in the season opener at Barber, but otherwise has uh, racked up four top four finishes. This has led at least one lap in every single race and has finished on the podium uh, both of the races at IMS. I, I don't know necessarily how well you know um, Alex, uh, but just from a, a member of the paddock at large, what what has maybe stood out to you about um, someone like him having a, at least a fairly decent gap on the rest of the field thus far in the points race six races in? He's a fantastic driver. Uh, you know, no one would ever doubt that. Uh, you know, he got off to the season in a perfect way. And, you know, he's been very consistent. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great driver and a great team. And so far, I think within the points-wise being the way it is, um, you know, having a great result there. If you if you can't win the race, at least you want to have a fantastic result because it's, uh, you know, it's worth so much to the championship. And, um, I mean, I guess... When Chip Ganassi Racing were looking for a, a driver this year, they thought he was a good candidate for that slot. And, you know, in truth, he's delivering, you know, for them that they should uh, feel feel well about their selection there with uh, with Alex. He's a, he's a very nice guy. He's incredibly humble. He works really hard, you know, and certainly deserves a lot of the success that, you know, he's getting right now. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think this will probably be his first time going to Detroit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're the guys around him, you're hoping that you have a good weekend just to, you know, close the, uh, the gap to him some probably, but, uh, I think the, the field is, has got so many great drivers in there, you know, practice one might be difficult, but I think come, come, you know, quality one race one still might be, but I mean, I think the Sunday sessions will be, uh, you know, all pretty close again. So he's in a great job, mate. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that at all. It's a really interesting point. Uh, I'd forgotten, you know, of course, that he's this is going to be his his debut uh, at Detroit, as well as uh, a guy like Pato Award, who's in third. And I think uh, Renus VK, who's in fifth, all three of those guys came into um, last year, either as as rookies or um, or as, you know, the, their first season, uh, full season in IndyCar. Actually, I think I think Pato did race there um, in what would be considered his rookie year in 2019 with Carlin. But uh, beside the point, still, as you mentioned, a, a pretty new weekend for everyone with the addition of the aero screen, having not raced there last year. But will be really interesting to see how, as we move on later into the year, guys like, you know, young guys like Renus, uh, Pato, and, and Alex handle championship contenders like Joseph and, and Scott and, uh, and Simon, who are all – fairly close to them in that top five, top six area. Um, we'll go to uh, a couple questions here that we have from folks on Twitter before we wrap things up today. Um, question here uh, from Jason Wade, which I thought was really important and something uh, I've actually been asking some drivers around the series this week as we head to Detroit. He says, um, whose career IndyCar only would you rather have, Jack, either Elio's with four Indy 500 wins and no championships or Scott Dixon's with six championships, one Indy 500 and being second all time in wins. Oh, it's a tough one. Um, it's a really difficult one to answer me. Honestly, I, I think that uh, if I was answering it with my, with my heart, um, I know how significant the Indy 500 is. You know, to Indiana's community, uh, you know, especially living here, I feel like the the status and the gravitas that goes along with the 500. I would, I would rather have the four Indy 500 rings. Um, I would, I, I feel like winning six championships is is in a lot of ways harder to do because I mean that's. It's it's almost crazy to me how good Scott Dixon is. You know, he and his team, you know, to be that good across that many races for that many years. Um, you know, I feel I definitely feel like there's a sense of the speedway that when there's when it when it picks you that it, you know it's your year, uh, and that's great. And I that and I would love to have an Indy 500 ring. Um, I would say probably the slightly harder achievement would be winning six series championships 
but I think I'd take the 4 Indy 500 rings instead. That's kind of the, the gist, and now I haven't asked everyone in the paddock. I, I hope to kind of get everyone's input on that because I think it's really interesting. I, 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 generally speaking, I think um, the drivers that I've spoken with so far have, I think, generally agreed with you that there's there's certainly an added difficulty and that maybe even like with it, within the paddock or maybe within the driving community, um, folks maybe tend to look at six championships or even, you know, if you're looking at one championship versus one 500 and, uh, you know, someone, you know, say you had a driver a and driver B that had achieved one and the other. And I've heard that folks have generally said that a a championship is maybe looked upon with more admiration because you guys know just how much it takes, uh, to put together weekend after weekend, both from a driver's standpoint and from an, an entire team, whereas a 500 in some ways, as you said, and so many folks have said that the track really does in lots of ways, kind of pick the driver. I mean, we saw someone like Alexander Rossi as a rookie win in 2016. And obviously Alex has turned into a, a really incredible IndyCar driver, but at the time, I don't know that he was really on too many folks' radar and he, he won the race in a, I don't know if you want to call it a fluky way, but he won on, on a fuel strategy gamble that paid off. Um, you wouldn't maybe necessarily say that Alex had say the, the fastest car or maybe even the strongest car there all weekend, but, um, or all month there at at IMS, but it turned out that he and his team played their cards, right. Uh, and when they went all in on that strategy, it worked out for them that day. So I think it's a really interesting idea and I think it in lots of ways maybe more than anything shows just how much you guys both you guys and I guess maybe the fans and series at large um, really look up to this you know the Indy 500 and just how special being someone whose face is on that Borg Warner trophy is in the the grand scheme of racing I think it's a really interesting debate I don't know that there's a right answer but um, it does seem like as, as you described, I think a lot of folks in the series feel that way. And I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong, uh, frankly, if I was choosing between both, that's a pretty mega thing to have to choose between. If they, someone yeah. says here is option A, it's option B, I'd be like, Oh my God, thanks. You know, like either would be great. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that there's a, uh, a bad option there but um, no. I think people just understand and the more times you go to the speedway the significance of it the gravitas of the event what it means to the motorsport world what it means to a community outside of the motorsport world I mean one of the coolest thing I know you didn't ask this but I'm going to tell you anyway because I think it's a fun story one of the coolest things that I've seen at IMS was one of the years I watched the race from the spotter stand in turn three and I saw Rick Mears walking up the spotter stand, up to the spotter stand, should I say. And everybody in that surrounding area got up and clapped him from the moment they saw him to the moment he got to the spotter stand. And I just remember thinking, that's a legend right there. And like, you wouldn't have even have necessarily had to have known that it was Rick Mears to understand how important that guy was to that fan uh, group you know, to the, that community of, uh, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then you realize who he is, what he's achieved. And honestly, that's Elio now, you know, when he goes to the speedway. And uh, just, it'd be so awesome, you know, to experience that. I think it's a great point. I mean, how to, like, I mean, we'll just use Rick for an example. I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how many, uh, championships he's won but whatever the number is we don't you know we don't necessarily talk about rick in terms of how many championships he's won and i I just pulled it up it's three uh so we don't talk about rick really in terms of you know he's a a three-time series champion we talk about rick because he's among other things a four-time indy 500 champion i think you look at someone like Dario Franchitti, who's won four championships, something that only five drivers in the history of the series have ever done. And 
we talk about Dario more than anything because he's a three-time 500 winner, not necessarily because of the 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 four championships that he won and a, a pretty incredible streak uh, sure. from 2007 to 2011. So, um, yeah, a really great question there. Uh, Want to give props to Jason Wade that sent that in. We have another one here from Joseph Hall who asks Jack. Uh, on your qualifying run where the tire malfunctioned, uh, who made the decision to continue on with the run? Was it you or Mike? Regardless, uh, he says it took a lot of, uh, uh, we'll, we'll say he used the, uh, the nut, uh, peanut emoji uh, to continue, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, mm, that's a difficult one to answer. Um, looking back, we've chatted about it. There's no doubt that we should have pit. Um, my point to the team was I'm probably not going to pit myself at the Indy 500 qualifying um, because if they only run, if, if you only get one run, you know, because of weather or something like that, you have to have completed it. That's uh, and the reality is we, we knew we were going to go back out. I mean, we had to. And the weather looked good. You know, so in that moment, I would have expected the team because I radioed them and them in and said vibrations. And the thing is from inside the car, you know, I feel the vibration, but when I've seen videos of the car after the run, you know, it, it sounded like something was wrong. And, yeah. you know, I said to them like, Hey, like if I, if I radio you and say, I've got vibrations and you see it, like you at least need to tell me how bad they are. Yeah. And, um, I certainly I didn't want I mean I appreciate people telling me that we've got uh, big peanuts I guess um, I don't think we should have put ourselves in that situation to show everybody that you know the size of them in the first place <laughs> so uh, yeah I mean a lot of a uh, lot of nice things got said after just for car control and things like that but you know when I really look back on the on the month I look at that as a moment where we, we maybe we risk more than what we needed to risk uh, and if we were to do it again we definitely would pit early and um, fix that issue then try and have gone out because the knock-on effect of that that really sucked is when we did go out to actually do our qualifying run I mean we were pretty competitive at the heat of the day it, the problem was now it was the heat of the day you know so and if we could have got out sooner before that came then you know perhaps we would have been a little bit stronger again so um lessons have been learned i said i hadn't even thought about the the weather aspect of it but that's a really good point i mean if you i don't think if i remember that day that there were necessarily any weather concerns looming but when it comes down to uh indiana in the the heat of may when you've got high temperatures there's always a chance that you could have a pop-up thunderstorm uh and if something like that happens and you know maybe uh another car or two crashes or has uh, a malfunction similar to yours for whatever reason and your time ends up actually being within the field of 33 and then you know say the the rest of the day gets rained out um i, I imagine it makes a certainly could make a, a big difference in you know being in the field uh going into sunday already and not having to, to fiddle around with the last chance qualifier versus you know having not even necessarily put a time down it's a, such a tough position you know i can't imagine having to make that decision like you guys would have to on the fly like that um but i think that's that's really good perspective uh to to kind of get a little bit of insight into all that and with that well I think as well, anything I would add to that is, yeah. you know, bump day, like no one is safe from bump day. Nope. You know, like watching, well, watching Will Power in the last chance qualifier was firstly, it's probably the best qualifier in IndyCar history. He's certainly in the top three. And now he's trying to just like fight to even be there. It was just crazy, you know, to me. And, you know, even Sage Carroll, I mean, look at where he started. But, I mean, look where he finished. You know, mm -hmm. he had an awesome day. You know, and I think Jaren Rollerbolt had, a, you know, one of the standout performances of the day. Yet they were battling to even just make the race. And it, that's why I said to the team after, like, 
on that day there was no weather but i actually feel like ims has its own like mini microclimate because mm-hmm. there's days when it's raining all around and doesn't seem to hit the track and we love them days <laughs> and there's days where it seems like there's no rain and then suddenly it pops up for moisture yeah you know so it's it's definitely not easy to make in the moment uh you know i think a lot of racing in that way is um you know not making decisions on the fly but actually having spoke about them and go hey guys if we have this problem here's a contingency plan and uh, i think that was the main takeaway from our 500 qualifying this year great point yeah I, i mean you you bring up someone like will who uh um i mean he's you know, if he makes even slightly more contact with the wall there, uh, he probably Oof. spins. And I mean, I guess you you assume that someone like Team Penske probably has a backup car ready, you know, ready to go for him to try and make another attempt. But that's just not something that you want to to be messing around with, even having a chance to go wrong. And that was very, very, very close to happening. So it's uh, just a, a testament to what it takes to make this race and, and, uh, how special it is kind of going back to a couple of conversations that we've already had today, um, about the 500. And with that, uh, we will wrap up this week's edition of IndyCar weekly. Thanks for those of you, uh, Joseph Hall and Jason Wade that submitted questions. And we hope to get more from you folks this week. We will have two races to recap next week. Uh, so that means, uh, double the opportunities to, to send in some questions and, uh, and double the races for us to break down. So, um, thanks as always to Jack for jumping on with us and, uh, we wish you best of luck here going into Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thanks buddy. Uh, thanks again for, uh, listening to this week's edition of IndyCar weekly. We'll be back next week with an episode uh, breaking down the Detroit Grand Prix doubleheader, along with a preview to the race at Road America around Elkhart Lake. Thanks, folks.